0: This morning we're going to be looking at First Peter verses three through five. Uh, just so you kind of know, verses three through nine of First Peter one is one continuous sentence in Greek. It's one big long sentence. Uh, just about all commentators, however, take and break it down, and I'm going to be no exception. <laughs> um, but the first, the first six verses, one uh, or what is it, whatever verses that is, uh, three through nine, uh, they are they are one sentence, and then ten through twelve are kind of a secondary sentence that are still part of the same thought. The entire thought here is, is our glorious salvation is what I titled it. Uh, different commentators have different titles for it, but. Uh, but it's 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 about salvation, it's about God's work in salvation. In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in verse 2, he talked about the fact that we are elect, chosen by God, by the foreknowledge of God we have been elect. Now he's going to explain something about that election as he goes, as he goes through this, how it plays out, how that salvation uh, comes to pass, if you will. And then in verses 10 through 12, he's going to discuss actually, the investigation into salvation through the centuries, how the prophets sought to know the day and the time and, and, and looked for the Messiah is the idea here. And then he'll conclude that section by saying part of that search is even the angels want to look into salvation. Uh, it's, uh, it's the, uh, the idea here is how glorious it is, how wonderful it is, and all of the aspects that—well, not all of—but a good part of the aspects uh, that play into it is what he's going to be looking at as we as we uh, as we look at this uh, <clears throat> as we look at this text this morning. So I've kind of broken it down uh, just. Stealing some of the words out of the uh, out of the text, and basically they basically broke it down in verse three. We're going to talk about our living hope in verse four. We're going to talk about the secure the security of our inheritance, and in verse five we're going to talk about the revelation of 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 salvation. So those are those are the kind of the ideas that uh, that I saw that flowed through this text, and we'll be looking at that as we move along this this uh, this morning. So uh, before we get started, does anybody have any prayer? requests they want to bring up this morning? I have a people that I work with, her son-in-law has a brain tumor. Mm. He's having surgery on Thursday down at Cedar Sinai. But I don't know if he stays for the process. Yeah. Okay. I have a request for my son-in-law crew who lives in Portland, Oregon, that uh, he was admitted to the hospital last night with a Ah, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, I have a friend that, uh, he's a Mormon, that uh, he's having kidney surgery on Tuesday, Wednesday. So I'd like to keep him in mind. Somebody else had their hand up. Uh-huh. Um. My job actually burned down on Friday. Across the street? The American Freight. It's right here. It's just great for us and our employees and probably Planet Fitness. I think their building built uh, their building's burned down. Yeah, theirs got damaged. Yours got destroyed. Yeah. It went up to us. Yeah, yeah. it followed us before it started and then went to our building Yeah. yeah. Bob, can I ask you to open us this, this morning? Yes. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to gather. Lord, we thank you for this large group. We pray that we would all be attentive to your word this morning. You would teach us about our great salvation that we have in you. Lord, I do lift up these prayer requests, various different ones. Lord, you know the needs better than we do. I pray, Lord, that Your hand would be upon each one of them individually, and that Your will would be done in each life, the one that needs Your help right now. Pray this song, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to start looking at uh, at verses uh, one through three. Uh, the first part of this sentence, and then we'll look at the rest of it next week in in six through through nine, and then we'll look at uh, the following week at twelve or ten through twelve. So he begins by saying, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power, who, who by God's power are being." guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and that's that's the text we're going to look at this morning he begins, he opens with a really a doxology praise be the god and father of our lord jesus christ that's that's his opening comments um, this is a common Opening, It's found throughout the Psalms, uh, uh, especially Psalm 41, verse 13, uh, 72, 18. Both they, they open this way. Praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, that's kind of the idea here. Now, obviously, there are two words that get employed as we go through here. One is blessed and one is praised. And the difference is simply whether you sing it or just say it. When it's when it's used when the word used for praise in the Old Testament, as in Psalms here, is 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 uh, is employed, it means you sing it. And when it's used this way as blessed, it means you say it. That's that's really the difference here. So this is a this is a blessing. Or a praise to God, who is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. That's the idea here. When the, when the Jews of the Old Testament blessed God, they blessed him as the creator, the redeemer, the one who brought them out of Egypt. And it, and it speaks of his sovereign power. Uh, his delivering power, his ability, his ability to to keep his promises to his people, is is the idea that they that they expressed in this uh, in this uh, in this uh, uh, in this title. Um, he, um, but in in Christianity, it has a distinctly different flavor because it uh, it it says the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in, In the Gospels, over and over again, Jesus referred to, in fact, there's only one exception, and that's when he's on the cross and he cries out, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time in scripture when he refers to God, he doesn't refer to him as father. It's the only time. And, and, uh, and, 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 and here, here it, it takes on this very personal sense, whereas in Israel, it took on a corporate sense. The idea was the only time the fatherhood of God was seen was in connection to the nation, not individual Jews. But in Christianity, we call God our father. That's 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 the emphasis that's being expressed here. Uh, it's a, it's a, a praise to God. It says God, our Father. That's that's the idea uh, that he wants us uh, wants us to see here. Uh, Isaiah 63, 16, There, Israel calls uh, God Father, but they call him Father through Abraham. And they go on to say. <clears throat> um, you, Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer of old, is your name. It's always used in a corporate sense, but to us, as believers, it's used in an individual sense. It's, it's, it, 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 it emphasizes the relationship that we have with our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the idea here. Um, Jesus, Jesus, uh, Jesus, when we address Him, we're addressing God. He and God are equal in essence. He is God the Son. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He, he Himself stated in John 10.30... I and the Father are one, meaning they are the same, the same in essence. That's that's the idea here. Also, see Second Corinthians one three or Second John uh, John three. <clears throat> it, it state basically what he's stating here is that God, is that Jesus is fully God, and that's that's the expression here, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the New Testament of. Uh, it, it notes that that he is the father of the lord jesus christ that's that reference is made twenty seven times in the New Testament uh, at father of all believers is is mentioned twenty times in the New Testament um, and here we have the personal note because he says our uh, that's a that's that's the idea here he uses a personal pronoun here saying our he is our father is the idea. And then he uses the full redemptive name of Jesus to begin with in, in this praise in this doxology. He basically says the Lord Jesus Christ, and the, it's significant. Each one of those titles has a significance to it. The Lord declares his deity. It's the same. It would be. It's calling him Yahweh ultimately in the Old Testament. Wherever you have Lord in all uppercase letters, they just substituted. They just substituted there uh, in the it, in the writings. It would have said Yahweh. Um, however, the Hebrews never they they were very scrupulous about mentioning the name of God, so they they uh, they didn't. <laughs> they they put in something else, and what they did in their text is they put in the consonants for Yahweh, and in the margin notes they put in the vowels for Adonai, and it came out something like Yahovah. That's that's really the way it came out, which we get, which we. Make into Jehovah but th- that's that's the idea here that's that's the idea he's, he's saying here we are declaring God our Father, who is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. Lord refers to his deity, Jesus refers to his mess- messianic mission to this planet when he came as redeemer savor, and Christ refers uh, refers to uh, refers to him as the mess as the Messiah declaring him to be that one the one who did fill that mission so it has it has the full emphasis of of his holiness of his person of his of his mission uh, that he is God that he is he is the one who came to earth to pay the price for our penalty and that he is indeed the Messiah promised from old the Lord Jesus Christ and then he goes on and he says he says he says, he says of this, having called blessing on, on uh, blessing be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. That's the first thing he says. Salvation is a result of God's mercy. That that's the idea here. Uh, God, who so loved, in and John three sixteen, showed mercy to the undeserving. That's ultimately what uh, what we need to understand here. None of us deserved His mercy but yet He showed it. Uh, Out of His love, He showed mercy. That's the idea here that's being expressed. Uh, Look at Titus, chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's the idea here that he's expressing. That it's by His mercy that that we we have been saved, not because of anything inherently good about us, not because of of, of uh, we're better than anyone else, or not because we're uh, the most acceptable in His sight, or we've done the most works, or any of that kind of thing. It's simply because He chose to have mercy on those whom he foreknew and elected before the foundation of the earth. That, that's, that's the process here. He basically said he had mercy. Uh, mercis, mercy, <clears throat> and then of course that resulted in the new birth, Ephesians 2, 4-5. Uh, mercy focuses on our fallen condition. <laughs> Where we are dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, Ephesians two one and through uh, one through three. It speaks of the of the whole person. It speaks of the doctrine of total depravity. Now you need to understand. I, I think. Most of you probably do. Total depravity doesn't mean that everybody is going to be as bad as they can possibly be. It doesn't mean that you will commit every sin that possibly can be committed. It doesn't mean that you are going to be evil in everything, and every way. It doesn't mean that you can't do something good, that's, that's, or, or something charitable, or that you can't care, or that you can't love. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means the person... Is damaged or polluted or corrupted by sin totally in the total person. It means the total person. It means in our it means in our heart, our mind, our desires. That's that's the idea here. Um, years ago, I attended a men's a men's, uh, a men's uh, retreat, and the speaker was Doctor Haddon Robinson. And if you went to seminary when I did. The guy you studied for how to preach was Haddon Robinson. It may still be, I don't know. But anyway, you, you read his book, Biblical Preaching. He was He was then the guru on expository preaching. I don't think you should use guru in that context. But anyway, that was probably a bad reference. But anyway, he was the man. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But anyway, Dr. Robinson was, was talking, and he, he was talking about total depravity. And he says, you know, I look at my family, and I look at my wife and my kids, and I realize that, I realize the depth of total depravity. And, I, and he says, the one way I really know it's true is they all think I'm totally depraved. <laughs> well, that's, that's the reality. Uh, that's the reality here. Uh, is we need compassion to overcome that. Com- uh, compassion, uh, or, or mercy, I mean. Mercy is God's compassion for that state. That's the idea here. Uh, God mercifully has had compassion on us in our fallen state. That's, that's what he's saying here. That's, that's one of the elements here to this election, is God showed us mercy. He says he showed us mercy. Now, there's a difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is concerned with our condition. Um, mercy changes man's condition from misery to glory. That, that's the idea. There's a subtle difference here. Grace, on the other hand, is concerned with our guilt it's associated with that condition, but it's associated with our guilt. And it causes, uh, that cause that condition and grace changes man's position from guilty to acquitted. So there's, there is a bit of a difference here. So the reality is God out of his abundant love chose to have mercy on whom he would. And through the Lord Jesus Christ provided grace that that mercy might be realized. That, that's, that's, the, that's the flow of things here. And he says then, he goes, on, he goes on here and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. That's the next thing he says. And he says that we've been born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Uh, we're going to see this word hope show up a few times through 1 Peter. Peter likes this word. And he relates it to a number of different things. But here he says it's a living hope. He also likes this word living, because he's going to call you a living rock later on too. But at any rate, uh, he, he likes these, these kind of words. And he says here, he, he's saying here, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, it, it notes it notes that <clears throat> that God gave or is in fact the cause of the new birth James uh ch- James chapter one verses seven and eighteen. Uh, well actually we're gonna pick up we're gonna we're gonna pick up at sixteen. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or sh- shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. That's the idea of the new birth. It's by his will. It's by God's will. It's his gift. That's, that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. Jesus, in John chapter 3, 1 through 15, explains to Nicodemus the necessity of a new birth, and he, and he goes on to tell him uh, by quoting Numbers 21, 4 through 9, to explain the whole. Idea that the Son of Man had to be crucified. He had to be lifted up. But using the example of the serpent that saved them from the, from the disease caused by their sin in the wilderness. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's how this happened. Jesus had to go to the cross for you to be born again. He had to die. That was the first part of this. But He says, we're not, we're not concerned with a dead hope. We're concerned with a living hope. That's that's uh, there's a big difference here. It's it's personal. It's living. It's active. It's to be a part of us. And it's not just a look to the future. Uh, notice Titus chapter two. <laughs> verses 11 through 14, where he says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Uh, This is the picture here. This is the kind of hope uh, that that we have. This is what Jesus did. This is the this is the, the 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 context behind this. Is it's a living hope. That's what Peter is saying. It's not just I wish it's going to happen. This is a living hope. This is a reality that will come to pass. Uh, Ernest uh, Hoffman in the uh, international in the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology he he called this. Living Hope, he had a different name for it. He called it disciplined waiting. Uh, In other words, you've disciplined yourself to know you have to wait, but it's coming. Uh, There's nothing stopping it. It's coming. It's a reality that you will possess. This, and he calls it a living hope or a, or a disciplined waiting, is the idea here that he wants us, wants us to, to, uh, to, to take into account. And he says that this living hope is a result of the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. We don't serve a dead martyr. We serve a risen Savior. Jesus is alive. We sing that on Easter. He's alive. He's alive. He's risen from the grave, and he's alive. There, that's those are the words, uh, and that's what he's saying here: uh, that he rose from the dead. He resurrected. Resurrection is the basis of the new life. It's it's. It's why we have a living hope. Romans 6.4 says, We were buried therefore with Him and baptized into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of, of, of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then see Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, especially verse 24, where he basically says the same idea. It's based upon the resurrection. Paul will later on say that in in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians he's going to tell us he's going to tell us that if it wasn't if there was no resurrection we're the most miserable of all people you know that's that's the reality the resurrection is our hope the fact that we serve a risen savior and that's what he's saying here he's saying you have a living a living hope because your savior is a living savior an eternal savior who took your place that's that's the idea here Jesus broke the hold of death so that in him we have new birth and eternal life John 1 John chapter 5 verse 11 and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that this life is in his son whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son the son of God does not have life that's the reality those who belong to Jesus Christ based upon his resurrection based upon the salvation having put their faith in him and those things they have life and eternal life incidental you know I, I don't know if you ever you ever try to stop and contemplate eternity you know how to define it oh it's a long time no there's no time involved in eternity its timelessness eternity doesn't go on forever and ever although we have to use words like that to express it 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 basically says we are outside of time it just is it's an ever present just is. It boggles your mind, we won't go there anymore. Uh, Verse 4, he goes on to say, and as a result, as a result of this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it brings us to another subject that was a big subject for those of you that that were with us in Hebrews, our inheritance. That's the next thing that comes up. And incidentally, this is a safe inheritance. That's, that's the idea, he says here. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's, that's what he says about it. The result of being born again, the result of having been elected, the result of Jesus Christ going to the death, or going to the cross to die for you, and having been resurrected, so that you have been resurrected with him, to this living hope, this patient waiting... You have an inheritance coming. That's, that's what, uh, that's what he's, he's telling us here. Uh, we have an inheritance. Now, her- inheritance normally reminds us of death and the property uh, that is willed to the heirs of, of the one who is deceased. Uh, Kathy and I have a couple of times been involved in, in parents' wills uh her dad my mom and dad uh when when they passed and, and in the case of her dad's will he had a will and uh there was a lawyer involved and he she has two sisters and the lawyer made more money than anybody <laughs> i mean that's just the way it is you know well and the government but anyway uh but uh but uh, uh that's just the way it is my dad had a trust it worked a little bit better uh, but uh but uh, that depends on your circumstance, but, uh, but uh, you know, in both cases there was something given to us as a result, uh, an, in- an inheritance, but this inheritance uh, uh, and it was a result of, the, of them passing from this life, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, 16 and 17 uh, speaks of that, it says where, where a will is involved the death of the one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only when a death, since it is not <clears throat> is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive but this inheritance is a little bit different there is a difference here here the inheritance in this context is in the context of life we receive this inheritance because Jesus didn't stay dead he arose he was resurrected we serve a living savior but we, yet we are still heirs and we yet we still have an inheritance it's a in effect a living inheritance he's he's saying you are recipients of this inheritance now for israel they understood an inheritance but they understood it in the terms of physical things it was the land uh, that's what they inherited uh, all throughout the old testament the 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 uh, the penitude, and and through joshua you have the land and the taking of the land and the distribution. There's chapters after chapters in, in Joshua, of Joshua dividing out the land to make sure everybody had their part in the inheritance. Uh, that was, that was an important, uh, an important, an important idea. Our inheritance is a little bit different. He, he's saying here that our inheritance uh, is kept for us in heaven, which we will get to in just a minute. Uh, but uh, but that's where it is. It's it's waiting for us. This is part of that patient waiting uh, that Hoffman spoke of. Uh, here the it's it, Romans chapter eight. Paul wrote Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter eight, verses. Uh, let's pick up fourteen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, uh, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Oh, incidentally, the, uh, the Hebrews didn't like translating Yahweh and putting in the text. We didn't translate this either, because we think it would be uh, a little bit uh, improper. Abba, if you were in Greece and uh, you were dad, and you were coming home from work, and your children came running out of the house, you know what they would be saying? Abba. It means daddy. Literally, that's what it means. That's the intimacy with which we, we, we come to the Father. It just, anyway. Uh, but anyway, we, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears with us with our spirits, that we are the children of God. If in children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. And what he's saying here is we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ in in his inheritance from his father. That's where we are. We have a part in that. And Incidentally, it's not divided. You know, you get this and you get this and you get this. We all get it all. That's the interesting thing. We all get it all. It it isn't like, well, I left $100,000 to each of my children. This is, I left the whole sum total to all of them. And each one of them got the same amount. That's, that's, That's what that means. That's the idea here. Peter describes, Peter goes on to try to describe this inheritance. And unfortunately, he doesn't have any terms to really tell us what it is. He tells us what it isn't. He uses the negative terms to say this is what it isn't uh, as opposed to the inheritance that uh, we get in the natural sense. He describes it using, n- using negative terms and he says, first of all it's imperishable it doesn't go away it doesn't evaporate it doesn't corrupt and literally what this speaks of is, is corruptibility it, it doesn't die it's, it's indestructible we talk about things that are indestructible and we usually have a problem with them because the British had a, sent a boat uh, to New York uh, that was unsinkable it never made it it sunk the Germans built a battleship that was unsinkable we sunk it you know uh, we don't understand that term uh, this is indestructible it's uncorruptible it, it can't die our earthly inheritances only last for a while, generally. Uh, they, they become depleted. Uh, they And if you keep them and store them away long enough, you open the box and there isn't much left. Kathy was watching an episode the other day of uh, Little House on the Prairie, I think it was one of the reruns. And uh, they got a big inheritance and it was going on about how much money it was. And they opened the box and it was Confederate money. You know? It had no value. And that's what happens if you keep things long enough, I think. Well, sometimes that doesn't work out that way. Wish I'd kept my baseball cards. But anyway, not use them for the thing on the spokes on my bicycle, you know. But anyway, uh, but but at any rate, it says this is uh, this is these are things that this is something that will last. It will last for eternity. Secondly, he says it's undefiled. This is an interesting word. Undefiled means that it's unstained or unpolluted that 's what it means uh, it means it 's not like the silver that you inherited from grandma that 's up in your closet and you took it out the other day and you go, "What the heck is this because it 's this ugly black color you know it doesn 't do that it doesn 't do that it doesn 't tarnish it doesn 't stain uh, it uh, it 's unpolluted Romans 8, uh, 20 and twenty two talks talks to the same this same idea uh, but our uh, but our inheritance is flawless in revelation chapter 20 verses uh, verse 27 he speaks to the to the new jerusalem coming down and he speaks to those that go into it and he says of it there will there will be there will be no unclean no detestable and nothing false Uh, that's a picture of our inheritance Uh, nothing unclean nothing detestable and nothing false. That, that's the idea here uh, it, it, that he's wanting us to understand. It 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 cannot be polluted. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be stained. It cannot it cannot be destroyed. Those are the first two words that he that he gives of it. And then the the third one he says is that it, that it's unfading. This was an interesting term, and I kind of got fascinated with it and spent a a little bit of time looking at at this word. But this, this particular word, in secular Greek, has a very interesting meaning. It speaks of something that I really bet none of you have ever seen. I know I certainly haven't. It speaks of a flower that never dies, never wilts, never... Fades, just stays like it's supposed to be forever. And I'm not talking about a plastic one. I mean a real one. That's that's the idea here. Uh, it's a flower that doesn't die. That's the picture. That's the word he uses to picture our inheritance. It never. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't fade. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't get old. It doesn't crumble. Uh, Kathy and I like to buy cut flowers and usually once a week or so and have around the house and you know about the fourth or fifth day I will look over at the table we got them on and I go oh the flowers are no longer in the vase they're on the table you know they're dried up crumbled and fallen off that's that's what happens this this says that doesn't happen our never our our inheritance never loses its luster that's what he's telling us here it never loses our luster it doesn't it doesn't fade it doesn't lose its color. It doesn't lose its beauty. It doesn't lose its value. Our inheritance is safe from decay. Time can't touch it. Sin can't corrode it. It's, it's indestructible, is the idea here. And then in chapter 5 verse 4, he's going to, he's going to tell us, and when the chief, uh, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading, same word, crown of glory, that's, that's the picture here, it, it's, it cannot, it cannot wilt, it cannot crumble, and then he goes on and he says, it's kept in heaven. That's, that's the, the last part of it. And this is the part of it that, that really drives it home. Because, okay, we can say all these things about it, uh, but the guarantee behind it is where it's kept. The vault it's been put in. The security that is kept around it, it's kept in heaven. That's what he says here. In, uh, the NASB uses the word reserved in heaven. And this is a, uh, this is a word that means to guard. To guard. That's the idea here it's to place a guard on it it's a it means to be protected and to be watched over and in the grammar, it's already existing in this guarded state is what it's saying uh, you're not waiting for this to come about it's already there it's it's there and it's under guard i I spent a number of nights on guard duty during. The time that I got to join the Green Team, and uh, uh, they were always fun, you know. And I sometimes I didn't quite understand it. I spent uh, in, when I was in Alabama at Fort Rucker, the, uh, um, the uh, military, that's where they train all the helicopter pilots. But we were the engineers; we were out in the back someplace, and uh, uh, we uh, we walked guard duty, locked and loaded with an M16. Incidentally around buildings that hadn't been live, lived in since the Korean War. But we guarded them. <laughs> you know, My last guard duty was the best one. I had, my orders to sergeant had come through that day. And my first sergeant wouldn't let the colonel give them to me because he would have to change the duty roster and somebody else would have to walk my shift of guard duty. So I got to guard the motor pool that night. <laughs> but I walked a lot of guard duty. And the duty is, you don't let anybody through. That's, that's the bottom line. You don't stop anybody, even for those buildings that were falling apart. You don't let anybody through. That's your job. That's the idea here that's even more secure than this. These are carefully guarded in heaven. That's what he's telling us. Where is your inheritance? It's in heaven. That's where it is, and it's kept secure. Uh, there is no more secure place. That—that's—that's—that's that's, that's what he's saying to us in this in this text, uh, in this part of the text. You have an inheritance that cannot corrupt, that, that cannot fade, that, that cannot be destroyed. It's totally indestructible, and it's guarded for until, until our arrival. In heaven, that's the picture he wants us to understand. And then he goes on, and he he picks up again in verse uh, verse five, and he says, "Who by God's power are being guarded? Different. It's a different word this time. Through faith uh, for a, uh, for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Here, it's using a word that." It's very similar, but a little. It has a little shade difference. Uh, the other, the other word s- speaks of standing guard or protecting. This guard st- speaks. This guarding here has a different tone to it, and it's used sometimes to speak of being kept in custody. Is the idea here? It's a little more. It's a little more emphasis on the guarding. It's a little more. Uh, stress on the word of being guarded. It's guarded by God's power. While it's under guard in heaven, uh, believers are guarded by God's power. That's, that's the idea here. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Here he's addressing it to believers being guarded. Your, your inheritance is safe in the vault of heaven where, where it is guarded, but you are also guarded and you're guarded by the power of God. that's what he's saying here. And it, it has the idea it has the idea behind it that there's guards accompanying you for your protection, or it can be used for being guarded in custody. That's the way this word can be used. So it means you have a guard with you. Paul, when he was arrested and he appealed to Caesar. He was transported out of Jerusalem to Caesarea to get on a boat to go to Rome. You ever read that account? You ever read what it says the the, uh, the council did when he transferred Paul to Caesarea? He placed a guard around him. He didn't put a squad around him. He put a battalion of infantry, a battalion of cavalry, and a battalion of of artillery and he transported him to Caesarea. That's a guard. That's a big guard. that's a big guard. This is even bigger because this is God who is the one doing the guarding. That's what it says here. It says it says who by God's power, who by God's power are being guarded? that's you and me. God is the guard; He's guarding us. And Jude four and twenty five, uh, Jude twenty four and twenty five says this: It says, "Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen." That's, that's the guardianship of God that he's talking about. Uh, that's what he's saying here. It's, it's an idea that, uh, uh, that the peace of God, according to Philippians 4-7, will guard your heart and your mind. It's the same idea. God guards us. And he says he does it through faith, Ephesians 6.11, uh, where we're told to take up the shield of faith. And we have a human responsibility in all of this. This talks, about, this talks about the providential care of God, in that God is protecting us, and He's expecting us to follow Him in faith. Those are the ideas here. This is very clearly seen in Daniel, chapter 6, 1 through 23, the lion's den. What goes on there? Daniel acts in faith, and God protects. That's that's the picture that 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 the author of uh, or that Peter is giving to us here in this book. He's giving us that very same picture that we trust God, we put our faith in him and he guards us. That's that's the interaction that is going on here. Uh, God's protective power and our continuing faith working together. And he says he says in that who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. Salvation basically means to be rescued or to be delivered. That's what the word means. Uh, I, don't, I don't think sometimes we don't realize just how simply that word comes across. It's to rescue you. You were rescued out of your sinful state. You were delivered from it. That's salvation. And and here he relates it to that final act in salvation uh, when you enter the glorious presence of God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think you understand, I think most of you understand, salvation is in fact a process. You have been saved, justification, you are being saved, sanctification, and you will be saved, glorification. Now the interesting thing about it is, that process, once you enter into justification, it doesn't stop. Uh, you can't deter it. You can't stop it. That's part of election. God keeps you secure in that. In fact, Ephesians two, Ephesians uh, two eight. Uh, if we were to it, in English, it would be hard to read it this way. But in the Greek, it reads, "You are having been saved," and you go, "What?" Well, it means what that means is excuse me, what that means is it's a past occurrence that has continuing effect. That's the idea here. And that's what's being expressed here. Uh, You have entered into, you were elect. As a result of your election through the foreknowledge of God, you have been Made one of His children. You have been brought into His holy family, who by His mercy sent the Lord Jesus Christ to provide the means by which you could be saved, that election could be realized, and is realized, and through His resurrection is now guaranteed, (coughs) and you have an inheritance which cannot, in any way, be damaged; that in any way can be diminished, because it's guarded in heaven, and that same guardianship is over you through God's power. And it basically, he says, for the ultimate revelation of your salvation, that ultimate time when when you uh, when you come into his very presence justification delivered us from the penalty of sin sanctification delivers us from the power of sin 1st John 1.9 and 1st Corinthians 10.13 and ultimately in glorification we're removed from the very presence of sin That's that's all part of the salvation process, and and he's saying that this salvation is ready for its final revelation, uh, the the or to finally be revealed. Uh, Revealed means to move to open open the curtain or to remove the veil. That's the idea here. Uh, God is going to take the veil away, and the reality of who we are in Christ will be seen. That's 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 the that's the picture here. He says at at the return of Jesus Christ, our inheritance will be fully uh, realized. Uh, That inheritance is fully realized in in uh, in the the coming. Eternal state, Revelation chapter twenty one verses one through twenty seven, and twenty two one through five. The, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. When all of that comes about, and and he gives us a picture of what that will look like. He removed the veil for us to see a glimmer of it even now, and and there there therein is is where the reality of that inheritance will will come into play. The Old Testament looked forward. To the coming Messiah. Uh, that's what the, the prophets spoke of, the day when Messiah would come. And the Old Testament looked to that day. The New Testament, we see the Messiah in history, we look back to him. We look back to the cross and we know the reality of what happened on, uh, on that day. And we, we know through the epistles the, the full implication of what went on at, at that transaction on the cross. Uh, that's where salvation became possible. Uh, that's where faith can be realized. That's where we enter, in, that's where we are justified and currently being sanctified and ultimately will be glorified. That all of that is is found there in that time. Um, but now we look earnestly toward our inheritance. Second Corinthians chapter four. 2 Corinthians chapter four, Paul wrote this. In there the case, the God of I'm sorry, wrong wrong verse, not verse four, verse sixteen. <laughs> So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look into the things that are seen, but to the as we look into the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are are, are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's, that's what Paul is calling us to. This is what we look forward to. We're looking to that day. Paul begins, or Peter begins here uh, in, in chapter 1 by telling us, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His mercy, according to His mercy caused us to be born again. Just another name for having been saved. Uh, He called us into His mercy to be born again to a living hope. We don't serve a dead martyr. We serve a living Savior. And our hope is a living hope. It's a hope that goes on into eternity for eternity. That's that's the idea that that He's wanting to express here, a living hope. And it was based upon the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. That's our whole basis. That's the evidence. That's the proof. And he goes on to say, he goes on to say that as a result of that, we have an inheritance, an inheritance that is indestructible. It can't fade. It can't corrode. It can't be destroyed. It isn't in any way diminished over the, over the, the what, however you rate eternity, it doesn't diminish at all. It stays the same, is the idea here. And he goes on to say, he, say, he says that that is guarded currently in heaven, and you yourself are guarded by the power of God. Salvation guards you by the power of God. God has wrapped his guard around you. And that through faith, that salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's what we just talked about in Revelation, those last days. When we see Jesus, when He comes again, we look forward to that day. Uh, the book of Revelation tells us to pray, Come, Lord Jesus. Any comments or questions this morning? Oh, I got done early. How'd that happen? <laughs> The difference between grace and again. Yeah, sure. The difference between mercy and grace. It's in my nose. I know I know. <laughs> well, I, I just gotta find where it is. I remember what I remember what I said, but I don't I know I'll say it wrong if I don't if I don't look what I wrote down. Uh, uh, mercy is concerned with man's condition. It's concerned with the condition we are in. Which is, which is basically unsaved, we're in a sinful state. That's, that's our condition. So, mercy in our condition, as sinful people, God provided mercy. That's, that's the idea here. It has to do with our condition. So, the result is that mercy changes that condition. God by having provided mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ changed our position we went from we went from misery and sin to glory in Christ that's, that's mercy grace on the other hand deals with guilt the result of our sin is we're guilty before God and there is nothing we can do about it We can't we can't pay the price there's no parole you know uh, there's no DA that's going to say, oh, we'll drop the charges. They stay. They stand. Uh, so we're guilty. So God, through Jesus Christ, provided grace and changed our position. We are no longer guilty. We have been acquitted. Our guilt was put on him. So that's the difference. One is a change in condition, grace. The other is a change uh, both are a change in condition. Uh, both are a change in, condi- uh, a change in, in condition. Uh, but one one deals with man's man's uh, state as 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 fallen, and the other one deals with his guilt as a result of being fallen. Grace deals with our guilt, uh, while mercy deals with our deals with our with. With our our misery as sinners, that's 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 the di- that's it's a subtle difference, but there is a but there is a there is a difference there. Did I confuse that completely? No. not Yeah. And grace is we receive what we don't deserve. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's kind of what I said, but in a much more convoluted way. (laughs) That would have been a lot simpler, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, okay, uh, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning. We, We look at this text and we're just amazed at the magnitude of your love toward us. The mercy that you've shown and the grace that you've shown to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you, the creator of heaven and earth, of all that is, had had thought of us, your creation, uh, that you took man into your care, and that you have placed your guard over us. And then not only did you do that, but you have reserved for us an inheritance that is beyond our current capacity to even comprehend. And for this, we give you praise and glory, and we just ask that we would bless the name of God, our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we would give you thanks uh, for all that you have done, in His name, amen.